In preparation for our lesson this morning, the reading will be taken from the New Testament, from the Second Corinthians. We'll be reading from chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Second Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. This passage of Scripture is a warning to us against idolatry. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Good morning and welcome to the Central Church of Christ. Uh, my name is Jamin Imtim and uh, I'm one of the evangelists here uh, for this congregation. And I want to personally uh, thank you for joining us uh, this morning to worship God. It's a true pleasure to be here with you. Um, we are currently in a sermon series that we call The Church, God's Kingdom. This particular series we are going to... Um, delve into for the first quarter of 2018, from January to March. Uh, in this particular series of sermons, uh, we will focus on uh, a very basic and foundational truth about our faith, which is our identity as God's people. If we hope to grow in our faith and in our relationship with one another and with God, we need to have a firm grasp of who we are as God's people. Um, Sean started us off with a lesson on the fact that God planned the establishment of his kingdom, of his church on earth, way before he created the world. And in this lesson, we learned that God um, told Abraham and David about his plan. And that this plan saw Jesus coming to earth to die for the sins of the world. And that enabled him to establish this spiritual kingdom, the church. And then the next lesson, we talked about us, the church, as the body of Christ. And uh, in this lesson, we learned that Jesus was exalted for the work that he did on the cross. And that God gave him all authority in heaven and on earth, and that God made him the head over us, over his body, over the church. Last week, Sean talked to us about our work as a congregation, as, as the church. Um, um, the points were so clear. It's amazing. Sean told us that as part of our work, we build each other up as we edify one another. We... Um, we help each other out as well as we practice benevolence towards one another. And then finally, Sean told us that last week that as a church, we make disciples of nations. 
as we proclaim the salvation of uh, Christ, the good news of Christ, and as we equip the saints towards uh, love and good works. Now, this morning, we are going to remind ourselves of another dimension of our identity as the church. This morning, we are going to look into us, the church, being God's family. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. In this particular uh, lesson, we are going to frame our objective with a question. So this is our task this morning. What can we learn from the fact that we are the church, God's family? What is it to us that we are God's family? The thing with families are, you know, families are known for uh, who they are and what they do. Right? Let me, let me uh, elaborate more on that. Like, for example, in this congregation, there are families that we can, we can say, well, that family is an artistic family. You know what I'm saying? Because the members of that family are into you know, are into, are very talented, very creative. And in this church family, I can just think of a couple of families that are very talented in that regard. For example, Scott and Dory Johnson's family, Wayne and Diana Turner's family, very talented people. So we associate talent with that family. Also, some families are known for the activities and the traditions in which they engage. Like when I think about the locks, I think about Christmas holiday skiing. Right? That's what they do. And, okay, uh, think about it in your heads. Which family in this congregation would you associate with hunting? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. The Knudsons, right? Yeah, if they could have a tie that's, uh, that's mossy oak, they would probably wear that tie. Or a whole suit that's mossy oak, they would probably wear that uh, suit. So families are known for what they do. It's not different with our church family. God's family are, is known for many, for many reasons. But one thing that I want to mention to you this morning, which is the first point that I want to make this morning, is that God's family is known for the fact that we stand for the truth. This is what we should be known for. One of the very first things that we should be known for is this. First Timothy 3.15, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that God's household is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. This verse tells us that we are the proponents and the champions for the truth. This verse tells us that as a community of believers, this is where the truth is exemplified. Uh, this is where the truth is um, proclaimed. And this is where the truth is upheld and spread. But you're probably thinking, well, what is the truth? And why do we have to stand for the truth? Why does God say, well, God's household... God's family is the pillar and foundation of truth. But why and how? What is the truth? And why do we need to stand for the truth? Well, I'm going to show you a verse, a short verse, 
that answers both questions. John 17, verse 17. In this particular verse, Jesus is praying. Jesus himself is saying these things. Jesus is praying that his followers, his disciples, uh, uh, will, will, uh, will give, have this grace from God. That God would sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Two questions answered. What is truth? Well, it's God's word. The scriptures, the Bible. Why and what is the significance of this truth? Why do we have to stand for it? Because God uses his truth, the scriptures, his word, to sanctify us. To set us apart. To separate us from the world so that he can call us his people. Do you see that? Now, this whole idea of truth and being set apart to become God's people is echoed in the context of our scripture reading this morning. But before we get there, what happens when we do not stand for the truth? What happens when we do not uphold the truth in our families? Well, this is what happens. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. When we do not stand for truth, we suppress the truth because we do not put on the righteousness of God. We put on something else. And the scriptures call it unrighteousness. But when we stand for the truth, what we just sang before the sermon happens. How sweet, how heavenly is the sight when those that love the Lord delight in each other's peace and so fulfill the word. So stand for the truth. That's what happens when we stand for the truth. Right? Now, again, as I was saying earlier, this whole concept was echoed in our scripture reading this morning. Beginning in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He writes, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? This verse is telling us that light cannot exist with darkness. That righteousness has nothing to do with wickedness. That there's no harmony between Jesus and Satan. There's no agreement between God and false gods. And there is no fellowship between believer and unbeliever. And it highlights that idea of being sanctified, of being consecrated, of being holy, of being separate, so that we can be for God and those and the, the rest would be for the world. Paul echoes this sentiment in the rest of verse 16 in Second Corinthians chapter 6. He writes, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. 
Now Paul starts going to this relationship that we have with God. The reason why we have to stand for truth, the reason why we have to separate ourselves from the world is because God wants us to call to call us his people. And then he goes deeper. This one actually was, when you see quotations like that in, in, in the Bible, it's the writers quoting each other. The Apostle Paul, Paul here was quoting the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 27, when God renewed his promise to the Israelites while they were still captives in Babylon. This is true to us today. And then he goes on deeper. He quotes another verse in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 11, when he writes, Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. He goes on to that idea that I need you to be separate. And again, that separation is done through the truth, through the word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And then... In verse 18 of, of this uh, particular chapter in Second Corinthians, we come to our lesson this morning. Comes full circle. This is what God said. And I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Do you see that full circle? Do you see now why we need to stand for the truth? Do we now understand why we can't just pay the truth lip service? Why we need to be in the Word? Because that's what God uses to sanctify us, to separate us to Himself. There's no two questions about it. How do we do that in our context this morning? Well, Ephesians 4.13 Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. We need to speak the truth in love. We talked about being the body of Jesus. That's how we grow. But it's not only in speaking. It's not only in words. It's also in action. First John chapter 3, verse 18, we are told, Dear children, let us not love with words of speech but with actions and in truth. So the first thing that we need to keep in mind when we think about us being the, 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 the family of God is that we stand for the truth. Now, the next thing that I'm going to talk about, the next thing that we need to keep in mind because of the fact that we are God's family is the fact that we are brothers and sisters. I love this one because it goes deep in our in our identity in our relationship with one another. Um, I read a story about two best friends who were inseparable. They were tight. Their names were Gary Clark and Steve Barbin. Have you guys heard this story before? It was featured in Dateline NBC in 2001. It was amazing. These guys were inseparable. Uh, uh, Gary and Steve uh, were natives of uh, the state of Connecticut, uh, just located uh, on the north 
uh, eastern side of, uh, of, of, the, of America, of the states, of the U.S., where there's lots and lots of seagulls poking at your head. Now, uh, Steve and Gary met at a chance encounter. And in that chance encounter, they became instant friends. Something clicked. There was a connection right away. They became the best of friends, and their just relationship just, just blossomed so that they, were, they became such like an amazing item together. They were like brothers. During uh, Steve's uh, wedding, Gary actually became the best man. That, that's them right there at Steve's wedding. They were there for each other. Even when Gary's dad passed away, Steve was there to comfort him during that difficult time. But then Gary received a phone call in December of 1998. That was 23 years after they met. After they've become best of friends, Gary received a phone call from a Connecticut official. The Connecticut official was piecing together information, a case, if you will, uh, on uh, an individual who was, an, who was adopted. And this individual had many other siblings that were adopted. So the Connecticut official was trying to call every sibling. And he told Gary, yeah, you're adopted, Gary. And Gary was like, no, 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 my parents... I know my parents. My parents never told me anything about adoption. And then the Connecticut official convinced Gary that he was adopted because of information that she had on her, in her person. So Gary said, well, wait, wait, this is too much. This is too much to handle for a day. I got to call my best friend, Steve Barbin, because he was also adopted. And he known for years he was adopted. And the Connecticut official on the phone said, can you tell me again the name of your best friend? You guys know where I'm going with this, right? And he said, Gary said, Steve Barbin. And then long silence. And then the Connecticut official told Gary, Gary, Steve is your brother. Can you imagine what they felt when they found out they were brothers? After being best friends of 23 years, they're not just best buddies. They were also brothers. They're not just friends. They were family. Now you're probably thinking, that is an amazing story. Don't be envious. Because we have the exact same thing in the church. We do. When we accept Jesus, as Lord and Savior in baptism, we are added by God to His family. Now we have a family of friends. We are not just best friends. We are better than best friends. We're family. It goes deeper when we think of ourselves as brothers and sisters. We're not just friends. We're not just we're not just, you know, our, we're not just acquaintances. Or we don't, we don't just know each other incidentally. You know, we don't, we don't tell people, oh, how do you know that guy? Oh, I know them from church. You know, we go to the same church. No. No. I introduce you guys as 
they are my brothers and sisters in Christ. They are family. I love these guys. Sometimes that's why sometimes, you know, you'd be taken aback sometimes when I say goodbye, when you come over to our home or I come to your home and I tell you, I love you guys. See you later. It's weird. Because you're my family. Because you're my family. I love you guys. It has to transcend. Our relationship has to transcend superficial things. Like, hey, did you watch the game last night? Yeah. It's deeper than that. You know, we do that a lot. It's fine. But it has to go deeper. And the reason is because of this. 1 John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I'm going to say that second part again. I ought to lay down my life for you. Does that hit close to home now? That we're brothers and sisters? Now you're probably thinking, Jay, that's too much. Dying for Soren? Dying for the Locke family? Dying for people? Let me help you out. Okay? I want, I want to help you out by showing this to you in a different angle. But it achieves the exact same thing. Okay? Instead of thinking about dying for our brothers and sisters, think about this. It's the opposite, but it achieves the same thing. Think about instead to live for our brothers and sisters. Is that, is that more palatable? Is that more practical? Live for your brothers and sisters. Because when we do that, if and when the time comes that we must die for each other, then we will say, yes, I'll do it. Because I have been living for you all this time. Do you see that? Let's live for one another. And the things that we do, let's not just come here. Let us be involved. Let us be committed. Okay? And that's what I want to focus on this, you know, this, this morning on this particular point. I want to drive this point home in our minds and our hearts. We can't forget about this. So for that, I want to say again the two words that I just said. Since we are brothers and sisters in our family in God, we need to be involved. And we need to be committed. So involved, that's the first thing. You're here. You guys are involved. When you attend the activities that you know, uh, the church puts together, you're involved. That's a good thing. That involves some sacrifice and some work. You have to give up something to be involved. Thank you. But I challenge you this morning to increase that involvement so that it becomes commitment. That's the natural progression right there. Be committed. You're probably asking, well, scratching your head, what is the difference between involvement and commitment? Well, I'll tell you. I'll, tell, I'll give you something that you can relate to. Breakfast. You guys like breakfast? Yeah? Do you guys like bacon and eggs for breakfast? I love it. Runny eggs and streaky bacon. Crispy. Not the limp type. The crispy stuff. And runny eggs. You're probably going, what does that have to do with involvement and commitment? Well, I'll tell you. 
in your egg and bacon breakfast, there is commitment and involvement in there. Think about your eggs. How did the egg get there? The chicken has to be involved with your egg. There's some sacrifice in there that the chicken had to, had to make. The egg is there, right? It's from the chicken. Now think about your bacon. That is commitment from the pig. The pig had to die for your breakfast. You see that? Do we now understand what being involved and being committed means? Dying for the church is also living for the church. And I leave you with this one verse on this point. Hebrews 13.1 Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not stop. Keep on loving one another. Now, the last point that I want to make, I'm going to make this short. The last point that I want to make is the fact that as God's family, we have a parent. God is our Father in heaven. Isn't that amazing? I love this. See, being... Uh, this idea that God is our Father is huge. It means that we as, as people, we, we don't have, we don't just have, we're not just slaves with a master. We are sons and daughters with a loving Father. We are not orphans. We're not orphans. We have a relationship, a loving personal and intimate relationship with the creator he is our dad and we see that echoed in this particular verse romans chapter 8 verse 15 the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship as being children and by him we cry Abba, Father. We could call on God as Abba, Father. Do you guys know what that means, Abba? In our prayer class, we've been talking about this for, for a few weeks now. Abba literally means, what does it mean? Daddy, Pops, Papa. That is the most pedestrian but intimate word in the Aramaic back in the day. Call your dad. Call, we have a daddy in heaven. And that verse tells us we can call him that. Isn't that amazing? But to me, I, I want to just encourage you this morning. That to me, when, that, when, when, when I think of God as our father, I think this. Security. When I think of a father figure, I think about security. That is what I want to be for my children. I want to make them feel secure. Because I am their father. And when I think that God is my father, he is God, and he is my dad, I feel secure. And I saw that one time, first time, in my son Jacob. I remember one, one time, before we moved to Winnipeg, we visited Winnipeg, and we stayed with Chad and Kim's uh, 
at Chad and Kim's house. If you've been to their house, they used to have a spare bedroom upstairs with a double bed in it, right? So Linda and I slept there. We only had two children at the time, Jacob and Daniel, and Linda was pregnant. So we were on the bed, and Daniel, we could only fit Daniel on the bed, so we had to make a makeshift thing on the side here for, for Jacob. But he couldn't see us when he slept, right? Because he was looking up, there's, the bed was high. I remember it was hard for him to sleep. You know what put him to sleep? He would reach out for my hand. But before he touched my hand, he would be like all anxious and worried. But as soon as he touched my hand, there's this relief. You can even see him closing his eyes and then smiling. Because he knew that I was there. And during the night, that would happen. He would wake up and he would be like frantic because he didn't know where he was. But then as soon as he grabbed my hand, he would fall back to sleep. Knowing that his dad was there. He felt secure. God is our father. And he's there for us. We're secure. This morning, I want us to really put it all together in our minds. As God's family, we stand for the truth. We are brothers and sisters. We're family. We're not just friends. We're not just acquaintances. We don't just know each other from church. We are brothers and sisters. And we have a parent. We have God as our Father. This morning, I invite you to be part of this family. If you have any questions as to how to become a child of God, let me know. Let Sean know. Let any of our elders know. Let the person who brought you here, who invited you here know. And we will help you with that regard. But today, at this time, if you would like to put on Jesus and be counted as one of our brothers and sisters in this congregation, in this family, please do so. Please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.